Welcome back to day 23 of our month-long Halloween Story Spookathon. I have a quick community apology about the giveaway I'm trying to run. I was informed a few times over the past week that the giveaway link wasn't working. I promise you I wasn't ignoring you, I was working on it. I thought I was fixing it, then I'd get a new comment that it was broken. To say the least, it was very frustrating. <laughs> But I called in some tech help, and I believe it's resolved now. If it isn't, please, I have to rely on you guys to let me know, so please do let me know. And for those of you who already did, thank you so much. I truly appreciate it. If you're new to our channel, what that was all about was we're doing a giveaway, and you can check out that link down below. All right, let's get right into our story today, which is called... Artificial Medium by E.B. Davis Ghost hunters aren't exactly known for being on the cutting edge. Inspiration, creativity, and resourcefulness aren't among their hallmarks. Even the ones that produce TV shows and seemingly make whole careers out of it don't put very much thought into what they're doing. Maybe they do, but I haven't seen it. There's the old cold spot thermometer test. And I'm not fooling when I say old. They were doing that one back in the 19th century. The thermometers may have changed, but the whole, oh no, I'm feeling a chill routine sure hasn't. There are the EMF readers, which are just embarrassing if you've had a year of college physics. Is your ghost pulling in electric current now? Is it AC or DC? Oh, hey, Maybe you've got a ghost made out of magnets, and it's passing through the room as we speak. Ghost hunting for juggalos! The manufacturers actually market them as useful for ghost hunting now. I used to know a guy who owned a hardware store before the big box stores put him under. That was definitely his kind of sense of humor. I wonder if we could pass off electric stud finders as an indispensable tool for your paranormal needs. Then there's the spirit box. I don't know how old that is. Maybe it's relatively new for ghost hunting. I first saw it in a plot device in a cheesy network TV show about aliens and superheroes some 60 good years ago, so I'm amused at its new application. If you're not familiar, it's just a little device that reminds me of transistor radios with attention deficit disorder that scans through radio frequencies quickly and you're supposed to interpret the noise as related to the ghost you're hunting. So if one radio channel says Lizzo, and the Crazy Preacher channel says Revelations, and the channel with more commercials than music says Fire Sale, then you're supposed to put that all together and pull out your debit card, because, apparently, the ghost has some juicy gossip that it wants to sell. Now, as it happens... There were three teens in the tiny town of Toodle that decided to try something new. Ironically, they received their inspiration while watching a very old film on the subject. They'd been over at the same house and, being bored, had decided to watch a horror film. Due to a lack of interest and some goofing around with their selection, they happened to pick a movie a good 60 years old. It didn't have any CGI effects, or any real effects at all for that matter. 
They didn't recognize any of the actors, most of whom were old when they filmed it and were all now long dead, except perhaps for the child actors. When the movie ended, they were thoroughly creeped out. They were also a little stunned that you could produce such a dramatic effect with only a script, actors, and a good setting, and a few simple props. What had really impressed them was the seance scene. The scene involved an attempt to contact the ghost in a haunted house in order to learn its nature. The seance had a psychic medium, who briefly toured the house, then sat down in a large room at a table to conduct the ritual. There were the usual cliches, candles, lights out, long tablecloth, semi-skeptical protagonist, etc. Then the strange medium lady went into a sort of hypnotic trance. Her assistant would call out to the spirit various relevant questions they hoped to know the answer to. Instead of communing with the spirit and answering verbally, the medium responded by scribbling answers on a broad sheet of craft paper. At first, despite the trance, there was no communication, and the medium drew huge, random circles across the page, something like a detuned radio producing static. Once the sheet was filled, the assistant would dramatically rip away a sheet exposing a new one for the medium to scrawl over. As the spirit and the medium began to commune, the scribblings turned into simple words, thus answering, at least partially, the questions they were asking, or, in some cases, providing disturbing new clues. It was a striking scene and kept everybody on the edge of their seats. One of the teens, Tony, brought up the scene in their discussion after the film, They all agreed it had been very effective. They ought to do something like that in their next paranormal investigation. By this, Tony meant their first. It was something they had long talked about doing, but had never actually gotten around to doing. Not that they should do it with some strange old lady, of course, but something like that. The problem was none of them had psychic powers. Ouija boards were brought up by Travis. They were sort of like do-it-yourself media. The board supposedly was the medium, and the non-psychic users could just move the planchette around to commune with the spirits. Too bad it was only just a stupid Parker Brothers board game. Also, the planchette didn't have nearly the dramatic effect of tearing the paper sheets out of the book. And besides, it was way too overused in terrible movies and obnoxious, satanic panic, churchy propaganda. Tori was the one with the original idea. Why not use AI as a medium? Now, of course, AI had already been out and around for several years. It had already gone through several booms and busts. People had predicted all sorts of things about it how it would radically change society, and so on. It would make work obsolete and revolutionize every field of science. Of course, most of the predictions had been completely wrong. In some cases, it had been right, and left more than a few people out of work in certain fields. The parents of the teens had gone absolutely apeshit about how great it was those first few years, then flip-flopped. 
And now we're coming around and getting hyped again based on new speculation. For the teens, though, they'd just gotten sick of the hype. It was old stuff that had been around when they were just kids, two or three years old. But now that they were practically adults, it was just old hat. Still, when Tori thought up the idea of using it as a medium, there was something there. Playing around with an AI was sort of like scribbling on a blank sheet of butcher paper. Eventually, at some point, you might see something interesting. So Tony downloaded the Gossip QCP onto his laptop. The latest, greatest, freest machine learning, deep dreaming, and hopefully ghost speaking AI to hit the market. Then they set their eyes on the Skull House. The Skull House was a purported haunted house next to the Tootle High School. Not right next to it, but around the corner and up a slight hill along a side street that didn't get much foot traffic. All the students in town were aware of it, and indeed was a bit of a rite of passage for freshmen to venture inside. Every neighborhood has one. At least every neighborhood used to have them, before house flipping became a thing. Yet those house flippers had never found much success in Tootle. The Skull House remained the neighborhood's haunted house. It had long since been vacant. The last time it had been painted was long, long ago, and whatever formulation of paint they had used back then was not meant to last. So it had all blistered, then peeled, then vanished long before any of the students and many of their parents had been born. Now it was just a grayish brown of old worn wood. Green moss was growing on the roof and pushing up the shingles. Some sort of creeper vine was growing up through the front porch and making it unstable. That wasn't a problem, though, since nobody went through the front door, as the door and the downstairs windows were all boarded up. The two upstairs windows had been long knocked out and were now two vacant black holes, not unlike eyes. The pillars of the front porch beneath sort of resembled long, lipless, gumless, punisher-style teeth, giving the house a vague appearance of a giant, monstrous skull, hence the name. To each side were great old trees, a maple and an oak, probably planted by the original owners when the house was new. They hadn't accounted for how big the trees would get. For now, the limbs and root bases were slowly crushing the house to bits. The root bulges in particular were pushing in the walls and starting to give the house the appearance of cheekbones, which only heightened the illusion. If you squeeze around the oak tree on the left, you can just make it between the tree and the fence. Then you have to swerve to the right to avoid an enormous, old-fashioned, chest-style freezer. The backyard is overgrown, but fairly open. Now the explorer has access to the interior of the house. The back door leads to a back porch, which the last inhabitants had turned into a greenhouse. There are several tables with many plant containers, all the plants, of course, are dead. The glass panes were covered in green mildew that filtered the light. It might have been a mudroom long ago, 
the place where the little kids were supposed to stomp the mud off their boots and take them off before entering the house. The interior, to the surprise of anybody who might see it, was strikingly free from vandalism and destruction that you might expect, having been a haunt of teenagers for all these decades. Sure, some of the wallpaper had been ripped off. There was some spray paint here and there. Lovers had carved their initials into the woodwork. Still, it could have been a lot worse. It was almost as if the student body appreciated its legacy. The upstairs, though, where the windows were broken out, was a real mess. Someday the floor would rot away with all the elements getting in. It was summer when our three teens decided to conduct their paranormal investigation. There was plenty of time for such horsing around when school was out. They decided to make their way into the house late in the evening when the summer sun was still up and they had some amount of light. They weren't really expecting the house to be haunted, but they didn't want it to be after dark. It wasn't so much ghosts that they were fearful of, but the idea of stumbling into another group of teens in the dark, or perhaps a family of opossums, that was the sort of real scare that they wanted to avoid. They sat up in the living room. They'd brought some candles since the boarded-up windows and the thick summer foliage made it very dim, and besides, it fit the atmosphere. When they opened up the laptop, it added a little more light. They opened the AI program, and then they wondered exactly what they should do with it. That wasn't something they'd spent a lot of time discussing. Should they try to talk out loud to any spirits first? Perform some sort of ritual? This kind of thing didn't really come with any instructions, so they just typed out their first question. Who are you? As if the AI had decided to be a smartass, it gave them a description of the laptop they were using. Brand, model, operating system, etc. Who are you as a person? The AI's response was to describe its own program, a few technical details, along with a boilerplate warning on how it was not really a human, but a program, and its statements should not be taken as any legitimate medical or legal advice. The teens thought about what to do a little more. Who are you, but as a ghost? This time, the AI returned a short, fictional blurb, hardly a story from the first-person perspective of a ghost, explaining that they had died and their incorporeal soul still roamed the real world, like it had compiled different definitions of ghost, then explained itself as if it were a ghost. It was such a generic result that they knew they would have gotten the same result if they had still been at home. If there are any spirits in this house, please, we would like to talk to you. Commune with us through this computer. We beseech thee. Can you hear us? Can you talk to us? The AI produced a longer story this time. The ghost now haunted a house and spoke in semi-riddles, as if talking to a seance of living people. In fact, some of the details were so specific the teens guessed that it was even using the film that they had watched as reference material. Again, they were getting nowhere. They decided to switch to the image mode instead of text. What do you look like? 
The AI returned a photorealistic image of their laptop. The only thing being different was the logo and letters on the keyboard were off in an uncanny way. Draw a self-portrait. They got an image of the laptop, painted in an expressionist style. Draw a self-portrait of what you look like when you were alive. Images of people were produced, all in various artistic styles. They looked like famous portraits of dead artists. They could make out Van Gogh's and M.C. Escher and others whose names they didn't remember. What do you look like now? Make a portrait of yourself as a ghost. This resulted in decidedly spookier images, but the eyes seemed hollow, the mouths hanging open. Dark veins ran just under their pale skin. Still, it was a disappointment. The AI was just giving them images of ghosts, as they'd asked for. They kept trying new prompts, coming up with better ideas as they went, yet nothing supernatural manifested itself. As the sun dipped below the horizon, they put out the candles, packed up, and left. As they walked home, it grew darker, the only light on the western horizon, a pleasant turquoise glow. They still thought their AI medium idea was a good one, but they'd failed miserably in its implementation this night. In fact, they'd committed no error. The Skull House, despite lore and reputation, simply wasn't haunted. They'd try the Pioneer Cemetery a few nights later. That was a pretty little plot of land on a small butte overlooking the town. Toodle's first settlers had buried their dead there, but that was long ago. They'd opened a much bigger cemetery in town, and the old one had fallen into disuse, except for people out on walks or taking nice photographs of very old tombstones. One would think it would be a good place to find ghosts. The teens decided to try it in the dark of night this time. There was no real chance of stumbling into somebody else up there. Plus, there was the moon and the lights of town. Except the atmosphere changed when they opened the laptop. The glare from the screen was enough to blot out the other sources of light. The little cemetery around them disappeared from view, and only the nearest stones stood out in a pale green light. It was much spookier than they'd anticipated, and they regretted their decision on the timing. Yet they wouldn't stay long. This night, too, turned out to be another real bust. They had no internet connection, and the AI needed one. They'd still been in range of the high school's Wi-Fi at the Skull House, and they hadn't realized it. They'd end up walking home feeling embarrassed and discouraged. What seemed like a good idea just wasn't working out. They prepared better for the third and final excursion. This time, they downloaded the standalone, offline version of the software, and they used it with Travis's brother's gaming laptop to exploit the capacity of its graphics card. He hardly ever used it anyway, despite spending a lot of money. Their destination would be the old mushroom cannery. It was a large, abandoned building right near the center of town, not far from the town hall and county courthouse. Once it had been the town's major employer, 
but that had been back in the 60s before they closed. Now it was just a shell of a building, its most notable feature being an old gray smokestack. It was almost a landmark when you drove into town. The teens had no reason to suspect it would be haunted. It was just a pretty spooky place. By far, it was the most common destination for urban exploration among the town's youth. Unlike the Skull House, graffiti was just everywhere. There was very little to vandalize, though, since there was very little there. Mostly, the building was just exposed concrete flooring and pillars. Everything else was simply too heavy or sturdy to be destroyed by angsty teens. There was the boiler, the thick steel doors to the furnace, the heavy metal mounts embedded in the floors where the conveyor belts used to be. This time they went in broad daylight. The building was large enough that the little sunlight coming in through the windows hardly made it any less gloomy regardless of the hour. Once again, they set up the laptop and lit a few candles just for a little atmosphere. Again, they started off with basic questions. Travis this time had played around with the AI beforehand, getting used to it. He'd been adjusting all sorts of settings that he didn't really understand, but that he thought might be useful. There was an option he'd ticked to have the AI run different queries in parallel and continuously. So a result for an old prompt might show up when you've moved on to new ones. Travis hadn't thought much about it or how it might appear when you're using it to conduct a seance of sorts. They started off with the usual questions. Who are you? Are you a ghost? How did you die? Can you hear us? It returned similar results to what they'd received in the Skull House. Then, instead of text, an image displayed, unqueried. It was the hideous face of a ghoulish monster. All three of them jumped, but Travis explained it was a result from a prompt he'd been fooling around with beforehand and had nothing to do with the seance. They breathed a sigh of relief and calmed down, though they'd been thoroughly spooked. The stuffy atmosphere of the place had shifted, and goosebumps rose on their arms. They tried a few more prompts, but were dissatisfied with the results. They handed the laptop around, each of them struggling to think of ideas. When it was Tori's turn, she typed out the original question. Who are you? She was fresh out of ideas. The cursor blinked in its usual cadence. She was expecting the same result, a description of the computer or program. She closed her eyes in frustration, trying to think. She slowed her breathing. They were asking the AI. The AI was just the medium. They should ask the ghost. Her pulse grew steady. She felt an odd sense of ease, though she didn't recognize that she was putting herself into a sort of trance. Who are you? Tori called out in a loud voice. The other two jumped, as they hadn't expected her to do it. She startled herself. She hadn't intended to be so loud or authoritative. She slowly opened her eyes and watched the cursor blink. 
Then a new line appeared. Sam Walsh. Tori very slowly laid the laptop down on the ground, and the other two crowded in to see. Tori leaned forward and typed, Can you hear me? and hit return, then watched the cursor blink a few times. Then Tori spoke the question out loud. A few seconds passed, and then a new line. Tom Harper. It wasn't the result they expected. It must have been another return from the who are you prompt. Nick Lopez. They were in too deep to go to the settings menu and fix it. They knew they should ask the next questions very carefully. Yes? Yes? Yes, it could hear us? Was that the question it was answering? Tori leaned forward again. Am I speaking with Sam right now? She spoke it out loud almost as soon as she finished typing it. The new lines came instantly. Yes. Yes. We. The three teens felt a chill that no thermometer could have recorded. It felt darker in that building than it had moments before. It felt like their idea was working, and now they regretted it. Where are you? Tony typed. Tori spoke. They waited. The cursor blinked. They waited some more. This shouldn't be a long wait, but the AI was unpredictable. Travis started to imagine what the answer might be in his anticipation. In his mind, he saw the response, and it was horrible. Right behind you, the laptop was about to say. Travis spun in place, his own idea spooking him. There was nothing. The sound of Travis's pants scraping on the cement as he turned so fast had frightened the others. Realizing they'd only scared themselves, the three teens returned to awaiting a response. Still, nothing happened. Then, almost at the same time, they noticed it. There was still the cursor blinking at the bottom of the window, but way up at the top, there was a greater than sign that should indicate a result, but there was nothing on the screen. Just a blank space between that and the cursor. Travis fumbled with the touchpad he wasn't used to, moved the arrow into the empty space in the middle of the window, and hit right-click. The toolbar that popped up offered the option Save Image As. The AI had returned a result. For some reason, it had displayed an image despite being set for text answers, and the image? Simply a field of jet black, indistinguishable from the black window of the program. Are you in the dark? Tori asked out loud. Travis started to type the question, but the results came before he hit return. Yes, 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 we. The three looked at each other. They all shared the same thought and without having any psychic abilities, knew exactly what each was thinking. Don't ask out loud until you've finished typing the question. Tori bit her tongue. Tony deleted his last question and typed the next. Can you see anything at all? Only after he hit return did Tori dare speak it out loud. The cursor blinked. Again, the AI returned an image. It was almost the same as before, 
a jet black image taking up almost the whole window, except in the very center was a simple, small white dot. They didn't understand what it might have meant. What do you look like? Tori typed, then asked. She had set the program to provide an image this time. She didn't want any more surprises. This time, they got a proper illustration. It looks like the ink on parchment paper, in the style of the 17th century. It depicted three cartoonish skeletons, each twisted into uncomfortable fetal positions. The more they looked, the more grotesque and less cartoonish the image seemed to be. The grinning skulls looked more like painful rigor. The cross-hatching suggested earth like they might have been buried underground, buried alive. Travis thought of the question but couldn't bear to ask it. Tori typed and asked, Can we help you? Yes. No. Pain. Uncertain of the meaning, Tony asked something else. If we wanted to find you, where would we look? The cursor blinked as the AI processed it. They waited, their patience torturing them. Then a sound erupted from the laptop. They screamed in fear they were so startled. That shouldn't have happened. It was set to mute. Despite that, the static poured out of the laptop's higher-end speakers. The AI had been set to images, and an image appeared. First, a gray rectangle, featureless, the same scale as the two previous images. Then, the same image turned into four equally proportioned, smaller rectangles, only noticeable because they were slightly different shades of gray. Then 16 rectangles, then 64. The image was resolving before them in real time, turning into a highly pixelated photocopy, getting clearer at each stage, the speakers buzzing with empty static as it developed. They'd never seen the AI act this way. A large, dark splotch resolved in the center of the frame, lighter gray to the sides, parallel lines that slowly revealed themselves to be light coming in from small windows from off-screen. Then it finished resolving, and the three teens were transfixed in horror. They all recognized what they saw on the screen. It was the semi-circular shape of the two enormous steel doors of the furnace that had once heated the factory's boiler. Just over to the other side of the building, there was a screech, then the terrible grinding sound of giant steel doors slowly swinging on hinges that hadn't been opened in decades. Whether it came from the laptop or the other side of the building, they didn't ask. Travis slammed the laptop shut. Tori and Tony kicked away the candles, extinguishing their flames. Then they tore out of that building, and they didn't stop until they got home. Their ghost hunting adventures were over. Years passed. The graduating class of 2029 largely left the town of Tootle, like all the others. Many would go to college, others would find jobs in bigger cities, or enlist. There wasn't much future for them if they stayed home, our three teens included. 
It was a number of years after that when they heard the news, despite having lost contact after school, they all thought of the same thing, and of each other. They'd finally torn down that old mushroom canning factory. The video of the contractors knocking down the old famous smokestack went up on YouTube. The discovery they'd make a few days later ended up on the news. They'd scrapped the boiler. They'd broken down all that mass of cement. Then they found a flue for the furnace, underneath where the smokestack had stood, that was still so full of ash it was like it had never been cleaned. Even when the factory was operational, it was packed so hard it was almost like stone. Well, a good swing of a pickaxe broke it into small enough chunks that they could just haul it out by hand. The police had to be called in, though, when they knocked out a big chunk of old ash and found a human skeleton inside. It had been twisted into a fetal position, like it had died there, in place. Choking, burning, suffocating, the police would find a second, then a third. Long missing men, it would turn out, former employees of the factory that had simply disappeared over its long years of operation. How they'd come to be here, though, victims of a freak but repeatable accident, or placed there by their murderer, that was anybody's guess. And they knew of no way to tell. I thought that was a fun story premise with all the AI hype lately. Ghost in the Machine is always something that fascinates and spooks me, so I appreciate E.B. Davis allowing me to narrate their story. Check out more of their work and their book in the link down below. Also, for those of you joining us for the first time, we are doing a giveaway, and cross my fingers the link will work this time, where you can win a $50 Amazon book shopping spree and grab a free ebook copy of my new book that I just released called Book of Fear. All right, Rosebuds, that's a wrap. Until we meet back here again tomorrow night, thanks for sticking with me until the end. Thank you for your patience with the giveaway debacle. Take care and stay creepy.